Welcome back. Here we are together again. And I'm delighted to be with you talking about something that's very close to my heart. And it seems like a weird thing to have divorce be close to your heart. But I'll tell you, when you go through it, and when it's as harrowing as mine is, that's as close to the heart as a thing can get. Because we think of things that are close to our heart as things that we sort of love and adore. But actually, the things that are close to our heart are often the things that have broken our hearts or destroyed our sense of things or changed us or transformed us. And I was at the beginning of the wave of divorce in my peers and my friends. In fact, I can remember when I started my divorce, one of my kids was like, Mom, no one else has divorced parents in my class, which is kind of amazing when you think about it statistically. And at that time, I don't know if even any of my close circle of friends had been divorced. But since then, I have been called on so many times, both in my personal life and in my professional life, because I do work in my counseling and my mentorship around divorce. And it's one of those places that really lights me on fire. And that's because most of the stuff that's out there about this big D word is just totally not helpful. Welcome to the only podcast that will bring you more alive while you smash the patriarchy. Join me, Sam Wild, aka The Fertile Feminist, every week as we shift the paradigm, reclaim our native fertility, and create together the version of ourselves that brings forth our heart's desires and changes the world. Okay, kitty cats, let's dive right in, because this could be useful. You know, not everybody who's going to be listening has wants to get divorced. Many of you are happily married, and that's fantastic. Uh, some people who might be listening might have thought about it before, but some of you may be children of divorce looking for a new way to think about it, or perhaps you want a different way to think about the people in your life who you know who've had a divorce. Here's the number one thing that is missing from the conversation, even from people who are talking about it. You know, there's spiritual divorce and uh, ways to be meditative in your divorce and to have a yogic divorce. But one, the number one thing that's missing is that almost every, not every, but almost every conversation and teacher who's talking about divorce is still talking about it from a patriarchal mindset. And the problem with that is, oh, well, the <laughs> problem with that is everything. So as we know from just living our lives, but also as the wonderful, amazing Einstein said, you simply cannot solve your problem with the same mindset that created it. And the problem that we have with marriage is not simply that you have a bad marriage or I had a bad marriage or we don't want to be married anymore, but that we're also in a culture, in a patriarchal, patriarchal culture that has created a patriarchal marriage system. And just to say, and I'll reiterate this a number of times through the episode, marriage is wonderful. That I am not coming out here saying marriage and partnership aren't wonderful. I'm in a wonderful partnership. And then there's so many beautiful things about marriage. I think there's wonderful things about companionship, cohabitation, so on and so forth. So I'm not here to break down a essential concept. But I do think that the structure that patriarchy has created and made marriage 
into should be taken down because that structure doesn't serve anybody. And if it seems like it serves men, ultimately it doesn't. Because if you were living with somebody and carrying out all the patriarchal expectations of a woman inside of a marriage, that spouse of yours who's a man, we're talking about cisgendered marriage here, that spouse may seem to be served by all of your, well, uh, service, actually, you know, 80% of the household chores being done by the woman. But infantilizing somebody, allowing somebody to remain a toddler is not a gift to them. I have a lot of kids. And it is no nice thing to raise your children so that they don't know how to live on their own or take care of themselves. It is a disservice to them. So there's no reason to get a spouse, a male spouse, a cisgendered male spouse, and decide that that person all of a sudden is now incompetent. Not only does that harm us as women, it harms them. And this perpetuation, this understanding of men are incompetent, they can't do things, they can't pick things up, this is just uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that's all the patriarchal lens. So even when you sit down, you go, well, it's just because our brains are different. It's just because we were raised different. All of that is still inside of the patriarchal lens. And you cannot find yourself properly out of the situation into a place of freedom without truly understanding, oh, even that outer circle of my understanding has been affected and in Infected. It's like having an infection by patriarchy. One of the things that I really love about my work with the Sacred Order of the Great Mother, which is the community that I formed and is about reclaiming the archetype of the Great Mother, is that it is heart and soul different than every movement I have seen around women's spirituality. Women's spirituality gets this sense, and I'm on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else. Well, no, not everywhere else. I'm not really on TikTok, but I'm watching what people do are doing. And there's this sense, and has been for decades and decades and decades, that in women's spirituality, we are reclaiming a soft pink part of ourselves. We are embracing the beauty of the feminine, but in that description of the feminine, what is the feminine? Well, she's soft and she's gentle and she's nurturing. And those are wonderful qualities, but those are not the qualities in total of the feminine, are they? And they certainly aren't the qualities of the great mother. The archetype of the great mother encapsulates all qualities. Okay, in the same way that you, we might go to the great father, let's say those who are religious, pretty easy to get to that because father is the language that's used in our dominant religion here in the United States and Christianity. Well, God is what? When people think about the qualities of God, is God only masculine or protective or fierce? Of course not. The God that people are taught about is also loving and nurturing and giving and comforting. That is a God who contains really multitudes of qualities. And so what happens with women when they start being like, oh, I want to wake up to the feminism. I will wake up to the women's spirituality is we get boxed into this very, very tiny little box where our spirituality is awakening this very, very tiny little set of qualities that ultimately just will not serve us in having a free, liberated, fertile, awake life.
what you need to have a free, fertile, and awake life is to access all your qualities, right? And your qualities aren't just that you are fluid and flowing and jumping through a meadow of tulips and, and breathing into your womb, which is the kind of stuff I see all the time that makes me a little bit crazy. Well, there are a lot of reasons that isn't true. I mean, that you can you can understand that. We understand non-binary people, people coming out with with being uh, assigned female at birth, and maybe they have, maybe they have these a certain gender qualities and characteristics, but they're but they're very different actualized people, right? So we know that having certain genitalia or having a womb doesn't define us as a human being. But also, and more significantly. We always sell ourselves short if we ascribe to this understanding. Like This is the spirituality that I'm coming home to. I am a beautiful daisy. I am a wonderful iris. I am a, a very pretty little vulva. Well, I've had a lot of babies. And if there's anything I can tell you about the womb, is that it's very, very strong, very flexible, very adaptable, very powerful, very fierce. Now, there's so many of those qualities that get limited. And so when people start having this conversation about divorce and they start thinking about what a woman is, what a woman should be, and when women even are being counseled to have spiritual divorce, right, to have, take the higher road. And there are books, so many books about it now. I even worked with an attorney who was writing one to have the sort of yogic um, higher evolution of divorce. That feminine elemental energy comes in and it knocks us sideways. It doesn't serve us what we want to access if we're interested in divorcing either an actual human being or metaphorically a part of ourselves or a person or a friend or an activity or a job, anything. You know, divorce simply means that, to cut off, you know, to cut off and break off that relationship with. Well, the thing we should divorce first is the part of ourselves that is the patriarchal hand of death, cutting us down, telling us who we should and should not be, preventing us from actually being alive and being fertile. So whatever way in which we're seeking to establish a divorce and a separation we have to access the energy of the great mother. And whether or not that language resonates with you right now, thinking about that archetype. So that archetype is as ancient as any. That's the original expression of divinity. Uh, all of our research, all of our studies, all the archaeologists, way before anything, 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 there was the great mother and she had no equal. And she possessed all the qualities of creation and destruction. She didn't need to have a partner because they were all part of what she had and how she lived and how she moved. How would that change both how we approach and think about divorce and how we move through it? Well, in the first place, I can't even tell you the sorts of judgments that were passed on me from all kinds of people when I started my divorce. First off, I, I was divorcing as a woman with four relatively young children. And tell me what is the first thing that people say? Oh, why can't you wait until the children are in college? You ought to wait until they're older. Now you have heard that. You maybe even, I could, I have read books 
about why that would be the better thing for a woman to sacrifice herself so that she would wait until her children were older. It's seen as a devastation. Now, just press the pause button here. That thought was born in a patriarchal culture. So you can only rewind so far and you go, oh, even that thought comes out of a lens of patriarchy. And what that means is, ultimately, we've got to throw it out. What harms a person, a family, a society, and a culture is not the individual actions of the woman and the mother, although we like to make the mother the one who has committed the worst crimes. What harms all of these people and the organization of the family is actually the lies that are perpetuated about it. If you or I understood ourselves as reflections of or embodiments of the Great Mother, she with no equal containing all that she needed within herself, then what is the loss when we lose somebody in a divorce? <clears throat> what is the ultimate loss? Well, there isn't any. Of course, you lose a person and a relationship is sort of difficulty on the human plane. But the cataclysm of divorce that people go through, think about Eat, Pray, Love. Think about that book by Elizabeth Gilbert that was so popular and is so long. <laughs> And is so introspective and is so navel-gazing for so many hundreds of pages, the kind of torture that woman went through because of her divorce. That is coming out of a patriarchal lens and out of a patriarchal culture. Because when we have a divorce, the sense is that we are being destroyed. We are being destroyed emotionally from the inside. Women are destroyed financially. Women's uh, do financially worse in divorce. The courts are absolutely biased towards men. I could give you a hundred examples in my own lived experience of how that plays out. So we are not talking about an individual heartbreak. We are talking about a system, a system of exploitation, a system of oppression. And divorce is a method of liberation. So it's a it's a vehicle for an individual's liberation. And ultimately, whatever a quote good divorce is, it would be liberative to everybody involved, both the parents and the children and the fur children, whoever else may be involved in the system of that family. But we can hardly see our way through that to even try that on for size because the pain and the agony and the judgment I had people who would not play with my kids, uh, people who felt it was contagious. I have to say there was one friend who was ahead of me in the divorce. And I even remember talking to this person about the community that they lived in at the time and how the people in that community were reacting as if it was contagious and they didn't want to be around it. And I remember that conversation. And I remember saying, this is a good kind of contagion. If you get yourself around somebody who's been divorced and it sparks a kind of fire inside of you, 
that's not a bad kind of contagion. That's a good kind of contagion. You simply cannot catch it like a disease if you don't already have some part of you that's saying, oh, this could be really a liberative and good idea. I don't like the idea of the broken family. I don't like that at all. I was a child of divorce myself, and I and I struggled to really understand where or what my loss was. So for me, the loss was very specific in terms of not having a good relationship with my father. If my parents had stayed married, my guess is I would not have had much of a relationship with my father anyway. But, you know, it takes you about 20 years to really figure all that out. But were we a broken home? Uh, there are emotions that come up, of feelings change in any kind of change, even positive, good change. Tommy just went through experience changing jobs. He wanted to change jobs. He was happy to change jobs. He's excited about his new job. And yet, it's very difficult and all kinds of feelings arise. Well, there wasn't a patriarchal mindset around him changing jobs to make him feel like he was an incomplete, imperfect human being with some kind of form of emotional leprosy. But that is certainly what happens to women. And what I mean there is that's what happens to women who want to have a divorce. And so when you even think like, okay, what kind of pain is this for me? How much of it is just my individual pain in my experience? And how much of it is it the effect of what's layered on me from culture, from friendships, from community, from the sense of the judgment being around me, from what I see on social media? All of those things play such a bigger role, actually, in our grief and sadness than we can truly even understand. And that's why it's important to remember this is a patriarchal lens. And if we don't remove it, then we can't truly have a free sense of what divorce means. So to reiterate again, marriage is wonderful. Please don't lose that original thread. I'm not telling you that you need to have a divorce and that divorce is always the right thing to do. But I am saying to those who have experienced it inside themselves or maybe are seeking it, the compassionate, gentle hold that embraces the possibility of living without judgment. You know, one of the highest forms of practice is taught by Swami Kripalu, who is the namesake for Kripalu Yoga, which is where I was trained, is self-observation without judgment. Well, what happens is we have agony and pain from the kind of judgments we give to ourselves and other people give to us. I can remember being on the precipice of my divorce and, and everything changed for me. I was a full-time stay-at-home mother with a spouse who worked more than 80 hours a week, I did everything in that household. I had no access to money. I was given a monthly allowance to buy the food and the clothing for the children. It was pretty 1950s, my friend. <laughs> a lot changed for me. I didn't have a access to a lot of resources. I ended up having to leave and didn't have much stuff. People had to donate things to me so that I could have furniture for my children and uh, I started working for the Methodist Church at that same time, which was a real godsend. So I had some more financial support, which I hadn't had 
for myself in years and years and years. And what are the judgments that we put upon people? Well, let me give you a brief example of going to a parent-teacher conference with the teacher at the time for one of my children who sat with her body facing my husband. The divorce was very much in the works. Everybody knew it. And we had to, we rarely met at the same time, but this teacher had wanted us there at the same time. We had to be given separate emails. So she was well aware of our situation. She sat facing my ex-husband and she talked to him. And she barely looked at me. Now, if I went and asked her, did she realize she'd done this? Maybe she realized, maybe she didn't. I don't even have a specific judgment about her because it could have been a very unconscious bias that she had against me. Well, the working assumption, the unchecked assumption, is that whatever has happened in this marriage is somehow the woman's fault. My husband had an affair for multiple years and he had multiple affairs over the course of our marriage. And yet I was still the person who initiated the divorce. So I was still the person who had caused the problem. Think about that. Think about the power of laying blame. But if we remove the mindset, the father rule mindset, and we actually just look at things, then we might begin to see that the person who might be initiating this end, this dissolve, is the person who is uh, bringing about with force, energy, and power a new level of liberation. That would be a completely different way to look at it, wouldn't it? So to me, any sense of, <clears throat> excuse me, divorce survival is inadequate. Because even that framework of divorce survival is seeing us inside of a torture experience. And I don't mean to invalidate because it was really horrible and it is very painful. And my heart goes out to anybody who's struggling in that way. But we are not served by the higher um, or the broader culture's perspective. Rather, we could have a sense of encouragement for one another, a sense of the truer, more accurate picture of what's happening. You, as somebody who is divorcing, is now reclaiming the totality of your person. And that doesn't mean you don't go on to remarry or have a relationship or companionship or whatever the case is. But if we do it in that way, then the floodgates open, maybe a year later, two years, takes a while sometimes, where we really get that sense of like, ah, myself, in and of myself, in possession of all of those qualities. I don't need that. You are not my other half that somehow I need in order to be whole. But I am in myself whole. And then that's a lovely thing. You can get another person, you can all be whole together. <laughs> It doesn't mean you can't enjoy another person. Baseline, friends, for all the problems of divorce is this understanding. And it's got a root in Christianity, which is from the a second story of Genesis, not the first, a second story of Genesis, which is a later interpolation, which is that a woman came from Adam, uh, a man's rib, right? We come from them. We need them. We cling to them. We have to have them. 
Okay, that is so deeply rooted that even people who aren't following any kind of Christianity don't even believe in it are still perpetuating and carrying out those ideas. You did not come from, you do not reflect man. You did not come from man. You are not one part and parcel of that person. And to separate or divorce from a man and to recreate a new form of family, to have a different vision of what's possible, to decide that uh, there is more freedom and liberation and hope and healing in your family when it looks different is not to become broken. We need another word. Or we need to truly understand that a broken object that is then repaired is more beautiful, stronger, more useful, more unique than the original. And there are a lot of lines of really good uh, art and understanding that talk about that. So I'll dive into that on another episode when we do some art and creativity. But there's just a little, little dip. I don't want to go on and on because there's a lot of stuff I have to say about this. But there's a little dip. I do hope if you aren't personally experiencing this, that you will share with someone who might be going through divorce, thinking about divorce, who's passed through divorce, someone who's come from divorce. Because to get a hold of some of these ideas is so healing. It really allows us to be in that place of tender forgiveness for ourselves. And we accept on a whole new level. Oh, wait, what I thought was happening wasn't happening. Who other people may be projecting I am, who this cultural mindset of patriarchy is assuming I am is not even true. And so who am I now? And how do I live now? And what does that look like? Much more interesting questions. All right, my friends, I'm going to just end it right there for this week. But more to come on art and creativity, a couple other things coming up. So keep on listening, keep on sharing. Don't forget to follow if you haven't already done it and have a really, really beautiful week. This is me, Sam Wilde, a.k.a. The Fertile Feminist. And you've been listening to The Fertile Feminist Podcast. Find me on YouTube at The Samantha Wild, aka The Fertile Feminist, and hit the website, thesamanthawild.com, for all kinds of resources, inspirations, and ideas. Also on Instagram at The Fertile Feminist. Until next week, may you tap into that native abundance, creativity, fruitfulness, and life force that's going to help us all bring about that more beautiful world that we know is possible.